0: Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your your word, your power, and your presence. We ask you right now that you would till the soil of our heart, take the word, convert it into seed, plant it in us, that it would produce the crops, the fruit that you desire. I ask you to anoint my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer That I might write the oracles of God upon the tablets of these men, those that are listening right now by our podcast, in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Amen. Last week we started a a new. We all turn on. We started a um a a new series, um and and I thought it was just going to be like a two week filler. I have some other things I want to talk about as we get further in the summer, but I realized this is a a very deep. uh, theological uh, exercise that we need to recognize, you know, what does God expect for us to have, to act like, like men of God? What are the, the things? You know, we, we've seen people act a fool. We've seen people um, act on TV. But w- when it says act, it means it become, being a man of God. That's what it means. Act like a man of God. Paul wouldn't be an ugly when he said it. He said act like men. And what does the Bible say a man is? Because the whole world is trying to redefine what a man is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With all this garbage that, that's out there with, with the, the different movements, you know, we need to know who we are. If we don't know who we are, we will believe what somebody says we are. That's why most of the world that is going along with all of these radically demonic agendas of, of gender uh, manipulation, it's because they didn't know who they were. You know, I, I know that when I was a, a young boy, you know, uh, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, running through the, wheel of the woods building tree houses, you know, and my sister with her Barbies, you know. And, and, and yet, as I, as I got older and, and became, began to see things with my children, even to those that would be, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you all know, I have four grandchildren that live in California, the oldest being sixteen. Um, that, you know, boys and girls would start playing. They were encouraged to play dress-up, play with each other. And that was all an influence of the demonic to make young boys question whether they would be happier. And, you know, when you're a young boy, uh, I know it was when I was a teenager, I, I, thank God we didn't have alternative choices because none of us were comfortable in our own skin back then when you're 13, 14, 15, and you're uh, being bombarded with hormones and all these types of things. You know, none of us really liked ourselves. And if we'd been given alternatives, we might have made some really bad choices, you know, in in, in our life. And so God wants us to act like men. And so we talked about it last week. Um, How do men who believe in Jesus become more like him? To imitate him. To be imitators. What does he do? What is his mannerism? What is the things he says? No, not to become little gods, but to be be able to live a life that people, maybe they forget who you were, but they remember seeing Jesus in you by your conduct. Um, when Paul uh, wrote to Timothy, Timothy was a young man, and, and Paul knew Timothy had a mountain to climb because in those days that there was an automatic assumption, the older you got, the wiser you got, so younger men couldn't teach older men. And it was just the way, the way of the world. If I was 10 years older and you, you had nothing to tell me. What a foolish, foolish way of thinking that God has to, had, couldn't raise men up to their 40s before they would start something for the kingdom. But he was telling Timothy um, that as you cast a vision, as you instruct men, there's going to be men older than you, but you need to know what to say to help them become. And we looked at it last week the instructions for elders and deacons in Timothy, but really those are instructions for men, Mm -hmm. how to live, how to to respond to society, how to be the the one that God called us to be. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So God says that if we want to act like men, we need to be professional when it comes to our speech, our conduct the way we love, in faith and in purity. And yet those weren't simple challenges uh, to shift the paradigm of how you think. They were supposed to be things that are so woven into you. I know when when I was involved with with high-level athletics back 43 years ago, my God, time is going by, that there was a, a... you had to be exemplary in practice to ever have a chance of being playing on Sunday. And and it's the same thing that was taught in the military: you had to be able to take your gun apart, put it together in every type of uh, blindfolded in in blinding rain, because you needed to have certain patterns established in you that when they were confronted, they would automatically kick in. Uh, in sports the the thing that that debilitates the mind in in that in, in competition is some type of little injury a stinger and the your mind wants to go to the pain to the to the bruise that you got on your arm or that pain that you got hit uh, got hurt. and if you don't have that patterned learning you have no instinct to take over and in and there are people scouts there are people on the sideline coaches that are looking at the defense to see if they can pick out someone that he's carrying a little limp. Or maybe he's got his hands on his waist because he's he's getting short of breath or his head's kind of tilted to the side. And they'll immediately radio, run a play towards him because he's not in the game right now. He's, he's, he's dealing with something. His training isn't. king, and, and, and so you have strategies going on trying to find the guy that's hurt. Not because you're being sadistic, but he's the weak one. The enemy's always looking at us to see who's hurt. Where did we get wounded? Did somebody hurt our feelings? Did somebody do something that, that caused us to blink? Did a, did a woman come and she bent over too low or, or, or said something suggestive or, or she touched you in a way? And the enemy, how did he react to that? Was there a moment where he let his guard down to enjoy that moment? The Bible never, ever talks about not having a joyful life. God wants us to have a full life. He just doesn't want us to have a life that leads to sinful things, okay? And so there are a paradigm is simply a way that you think. It's, It's an operating program. And one of the hardest things God did with you and I when we got saved was to give us a new way of thinking. And, you know, there are some Christians that never got the new way of thinking. So they're getting to heaven by... The skin of their teeth. There's no external evidence they're even Christians. You know, and 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 woe be it to you or I to, uh, to ever look at somebody by their conduct and say, that person's not saved. Yeah, you don't know that. Do you realize there's some people out there that are that have incredible voices singing demonic songs, but they got trained in church. Yeah. They got trained in the choir. And maybe they were seven years old and they went down the aisle and they gave their life to Jesus and all of a sudden fame took them all the way away from it. You and I don't have the right to say, well, there's no way that person. You realize there are a bunch of people in heaven that you never thought would get there. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole bunch of people in hell that you thought were going to heaven too. Mm -hmm. So our job is to know ourselves, our relationship with God, let God worry about the other, but to live a life that woos people into the kingdom that protects and assaults at the same time. Not people, the kingdom of hell. But also, as we learned the, uh, on Sunday, how we, uh, our faith has the uh, a battering ram effect to destroy the gates of hell. hell. Now, when I was younger and I heard that the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, in my mind, I got it backwards. I thought the gates were moving and that they were coming at us. No, we're going at the gates of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Prevail is a war word. It's a win word. Remember when Scripture tells us that many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the purpose of God that prevails. God wins the war with His purpose in your life. Even though you have all kinds of plans, it's purpose that prevails, that wins. And I've said this many times, and God has prophesied it many times. People know who they are. They don't know why they are. And you're in danger if you don't know why you are. Well, I know who I am. I know my birth date. I know my social security number. I know my parents. I know my grandparents. that That's who you are. Why are you? Why did God give you life? Why did God mandate before the world was a, a place to walk on the, the exact day you would be birthed? He was intimately involved in the forming of you in your mother's womb. That's what Psalms 139 tells us. But because of this great thing called free moral choice, free moral agency, that Everybody on the planet is born with a purpose, okay? But because of, of false religions, because of societal uh, governmental influences, because of, of all of us having a sinful nature, there are so many, which sadly is the vast majority of the population will never see heaven. I read a harrowing book um, back in the in the early 80s about a man that went to heaven. And he was a, 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 fel, a well-known preacher. And he said that on the day that he died, he found himself, as some, many do, the, his spirit being alive, he was hovering over the operating table. He was it. He saw it. You've heard that. He saw his body as he was hovering. And then he saw the angels that escorted him, two of them, were, were taking him to heaven. And he saw an entourage in the, in the great cosmos, a total, including himself, of 50 people that were going to heaven. But the angels were weeping. And he turned to his angel and said, look, the 50 people, were, were, we made it to heaven. Why are you so sad? And the angel looked him right in the eye and said, 2,000 people died today. And he understood that the ratio at that time I hope it's changed because of uh, medium and television and the the farther reach, but he believed that the Lord was showing them that 2.5% of the population of the world will make it to heaven. Everybody that accepts Jesus as Lord is going to go, but that's only 50 out of 2,000 worldwide. And when you think of nations like the size of China and India, it's not hard to... To to understand it, the voice of the martyrs, which tracks the the martyrdom of Christians, modern day Christians, three hundred thousand Christians die every year because they won't deny Jesus. Doesn't happen often in Alabama, or even in Mexico, but think about all the nations of the world where they are they are literally beheaded because of their Christianity. And now it it should be a shocking number, 300,000 is a lot. But because of the way our our media is, it's not going to talk about that. They don't want any sympathy going towards the Christian or pointing out anything about Christianity. But 300,000 in a year is a fraction of the number of people that actually die in a year. See, And so this life that you and I have lived, whether it's the 4th of July, sitting here in men's group, Preparing to 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 um, start a new job, start a family, um, uh, start a ministry, keep the ministry going, keep the family going, getting our wives to go to Fourth of July through threat and intimidation. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know, my goodness, you know, it should have done. Threatened to take her chickens away, but I don't want you. I don't want to know. We're on our live broadcast now, so she might ask, figure out who it is. But the. With all these things, what are we doing today to exemplify in our speech, in our conduct, in love, in faith, and purity? So, the title of our series is The Six Marks of of Uncommon Conduct. We're kind of focusing on conduct because I have come to believe that I can tell more about you by your conduct than your words. I can tell you who you are by your consistency. Than by any other by the amount of money that you give. That conduct and consistency seem to be, the measure, uh, of of a man. How consistent are you in the kingdom? Do you disappear for three or four weeks because somebody hurt your feelings or because, um, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, your prayer didn't get answered? Are you? Uh, do, do you blow up? We used to have a a, a man that came to church, uh, here and. And Lance would know who he is because he brought him but his one weakness in life was road rage. <laughs> he was the nicest guy until somebody cut him off and it, and he would go ask for prayer all the time because just getting in his car he was like looking for a, an incident, looking for a reason to, to and and he said he he'd even get into his car he'd start getting mad. he literally prophesied, Somebody messing him up on the road. You know? and, but other than that, he was extraordinarily consistent. And as one of those guys, he came to men's group. Uh, and the next decade, I can't remember him, met one. He was consistent. And, and because of that consistency, God used him. Now, always remember that in the life of a Christian, you and I are streams, rivers, water. And God brings rivers together, and then God separates them. Okay, The problem is when God wants to separate, if we hold on, we, we, ha- we stagnate the water. And then bad feelings come. And then hurts come. We've got to recognize that God is the authority over each one of us. And as long as we're here, celebrate it. Yes, but if a year from now God says, move here, we can't harass that person for moving there. Or we can't take it personally that they left us. Whoever, I'm, I'm not talking about marriage. <laughs> not nah, you don't get that one <laughs> till death alone okay but we're not going <coughs> to hit that up so the qualities of consistency and conduct in your life and the the higher you go in the things of god and i don't mean that higher over men i mean the closer you get to fulfilling purpose god has a tendency to remove the curtains and the blinds and put you in kind of a glass house because the different levels different devils and god the higher you go, the, less, the more transparency your life needs to have. Because people need to see that you are consistent in your conduct and in your character. And the, the mark of life is, I don't want to get to the end of each day with a whole list of things I need to be forgiven of. If I live consistently with good conduct, you know there may have been a moment, there may have been a word, there may have been a thought, and I can quickly get that. That's why the Bible says, agree with your adversary quickly. You know, get it taken care of, get it dealt with. So he wants us to have this uncommon conduct. Romans fifteen eighteen, For I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Could we say care, uh, conduct and consistency are interchangeable with word and deed? Yeah, sure they are. Sure they are. My deeds need to be consistent my words need to show my conduct. Okay. Colossians three seventeen, and whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, give thanks to God the Father through him. So conduct is both word and deeds. Consistency is word and deed. And when it comes to our conduct, we might ask, well, what does the way we live say about Jesus? You can't Define you can't be the arbiter of other people's opinions. You have to be yourself. Do people look at you and say, Man, that guy is is deep in the word. He shows compassion. He's self sacrificing. He 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 knows how to to do things the right way. He's consistent. He doesn't get offended. He's a dead man walking. Dead men don't get offended. We know that. Well what is what would people say if they saw you at work without yeah, yeah the the church you go in the backdrop. Mm-hmm. How you shop. Would people be able to say that's a Christian? Now, majority of the time they're just they're not even they're ambivalent. The only reason people ever notice you is because either something you did or something you wore. <laughs> I can just see Victor, you know, dressed like John Travolta back in the seventies, you know. <laughs> Close. Close. Your sister, your your daughter was trying to rat you out. I walked away as quickly as I could on the Fourth of July. Um, but no, that was your wife about the earring, wasn't it? <laughs> now everybody's going, like, Victor. But so what? Most time, people aren't going to pay attention to you unless there's something, you know, that that God brings attention to. And oftentimes, God will bring attention to you because He needs you to act like Jesus right there. Helping to dispel an argument, helping to help somebody that maybe has been in in a, in a traffic accident. Many years ago, I was driving south or driving west on Louetta, and right at the at the, the little bridge before the racetrack, there there's a there's a, a wash there, um, uh, a bayou, and an old old man uh, got into a car accident, and uh, he was disoriented, and and I got in there behind him. Had the other people were fine, uh, he had just. Um, uh, I, I think the, uh, if I recall correctly, he was on the inside lane and the person didn't see him and tried to do a U-turn. Mm-hmm. So he caught their tail in and, and he, he got out of the car and I stopped and I said, I, I even parked my car, um, at an angle with the flashers on so they could protect the lane to keep anybody from coming up hard. Um. And I got out and just began to to, to check with him you, know, you couldn't hear the sirens yet. Somebody called 911, and then I realized. Then I saw him and I realized he was in shock. And so I said, "Well, come over here. Let's sit down." And he had a a knot on the back of his hand that began to fill up with blood. It went from just a bump to about the size of a, of a of a golf ball, half a golf ball. And so I said, "Well, let's do this. Let's get get your hand elevated." And we put his hand on his shoulder, and and I'm thinking, Lord, how can I you know, help him right now because he's going. He's older. He's going into 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 shock, and so the Lord said, "Ask him about his kids." He started talking about his children, and then his grandchildren, and as he was, you could see his mind working memories. Everything about the moment was gone, and he was in in a good place. He was happy, you know. And by the time the paramedics got there um, and 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 visited with him. Um, they said, "This is him. He's in because they know what to look for. He's in post shock. He was in. Shock. He's not in it now. We we know the signs to look for the, the the veins in the eyes, certain other things that would tell him that. And and I didn't go. Well, I'm a I'm a pastor, and and so I was praying for him. I didn't say that. I said I said well, apparently." His children love him. And then the paramedic looked at me as like a communication at that point. You know, which was a righteous thing. You know. But so in that moment, I my responsibility wouldn't be anything else other than just a friend. Kind of like the passport story, 30, 45 minute story about everything was wrong with the passport, with the government employees what? And God said, just listen to her. Just listen to her. I'll take care of all the big stuff. Be consistent. Be in your conduct and in your character. Amen? So the six marks of the uncommon conduct. Last week we talked about lifestyle. And uh, I'll be sending the notes out on that. If you're not on the email list, get with me on that. Um, Tonight we're going to talk about, it was uncommon lifestyle, men of holiness, men of self-control, men of sincerity, men who make peace, and men of the home. And so tonight we're going to talk about men of holiness. Holiness is one of those subjects that it's it's like trying to nail jello to a tree. We know God is holy, and yet God says be holy for I am holy. So what is we know we can't be holy. Not to the to the extreme of the holiness of God, but maybe if we understood what God was asking for, we'd have a better shot at it. Maybe a better shot with our conduct and our consistency in being men that are holy. 1 Peter 1 14 through 16 says this Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Man, you could preach a week on that one. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And in the Old Testament, I believe there's 17 references to that scripture, but it starts off in Leviticus. Now, the word holy means, in in a biblical dictionary, sacred, morally blameless, consecrated, and set apart for God's use. Now, consecrate means to be set apart, but there's a difference between being set apart and being set in a place for God to use you. See, there are, are many that are set apart, and, and but it's more of a religious thing. Now, consecrate yourself. That's our responsibility. Sanctify is God's responsibility. They both mean the same thing, separate from where you are or who you are. We have to separate ourselves from our sin, from our, from our former ignorance <laughs> of how we live life. God does the sanctifying, but if we consecrate, And then if we get to a place where we we set ourselves apart and basically, here are my hands, here are my feet, here's my eyes. My prayer on Sunday mornings, my prayer on Thursdays is simple before I preach. Lord, I drive myself from myself that you would have more room in me. I give you my hands, my feet, my eyes, my speech, my tongue, and my heart. Use them for whatever you want to do what I've just done is I've consecrated but set myself apart for his use, see? And in that moment, I am fulfilling part of the definition of holiness, sacred, morally blameless, consecrated, and set apart for God's use. Now, in Eliott's, Ellicott's commentary, there's a man named Light, and I can't tell you what his first name, but he said this, and it's kind of archaic in the language, because um, it was written hundreds of years ago, but listen to this. He hath severed you from the mass of the profane world and picked you out to be jewels for himself. He has set you apart for this end, that you may be holy to him. As the Hebrew word that signifies holiness imparts setting apart or fitting for a particular peculiar use, or particular use, be not then untrue to his design it is a sacrilege for you to dispose of yourself after the impure manner of this world and to apply yourself to any profane use whom god has consecrated to himself you're a jewel handpicked by god and it's a profane thing to be picked by god his name your name written in the palm of his hand sets you apart and then you go do a profane thing Ought not be that way. But you know what, guys? If we don't have proper training, we don't have good teaching. I've said this before, and I and it means nothing other than just the context of what I'm saying. It. I didn't have me when I was in my 20s and 30s. I didn't have a Bible teacher that was there all the time. I may have had a pastor that... That that taught on Sunday mornings, but I had no interfer- interaction. I had no accountability. I had no uh, no one that would mentor me. Yes. And and most of the churches I have to be honest that I went to, that they were either denominational or they were uh, uh, there were six degrees of separation between you ever even getting to see who the pastor, what he looked like outside of a suit. Mm-hmm. And so most of my life was being saved, but being influenced by successful businessmen rather than successful Christians and can I tell you that successful businessmen don't use Christian principles to become successful they are ruthless they are heartless and they look to destroy their competition most business is uh oh have you heard the term dog eat dog all right I didn't have a place where I could come if there's ever a sorrow in my life and, and God knows that 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 uh, it doesn't matter, but why aren't there 50 to 100 men every Thursday night? Because each of us know enough men that are struggling right now in their walk. Well, I don't want to go there because I don't want people to think I'm leaving my church. And yet you're doing nothing during the week. You know, how, how, if, if you could breathe as much as you could on, on Sunday, how, much, how long are you going to live on Monday? Oswald Chambers said, you can't take a vacation from the sacred anymore than you can take a vacation from breathing. And so when I say that, I don't lament that we don't have more, because I trust that God brings who He wants to have here. But I also learned from my father-in-law that whenever you minister, minister as if there's 500 people in the room, even if there's only two. If Jesus ministered and there's only 12, He wasn't looking at the numbers. You know, He was looking at... The truth of His word. I wish I had me, now, not me, me. I wish I had a man of God that that hunted me down. <laughs> that 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 uh, I went to a spirit-filled church, but you know, in the 80s, a spirit-filled church was simply whether you spoke in tongues or not. You were charismatic if you spoke in tongues. There was no prophecy, healing, you know, or or gifts of the spirit. But they were, if you spoke in tongues, you were in. You were you were a charismatic. You know and that was the kind of church that I, that I went to, but I wasn't taught. You know, I didn't have someone holding me accountable, and and I don't mean that. I and none of you in this room will can ever say that I hunted you down. None of not a man in this room. And you know uh, where you been? Because I believe you're men. That that that, that there's a, a point where you have to be responsible for yourself. But at the same time, that's why every Thursday night, other than the power going out and Thanksgiving, we're going to have men's groups. And if only one shows up, I know at least two of us, I will yank my son here. He will be in men's group. Right, son? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. All right. All right. So some Christian men continue to develop and indulge in the flesh. They have this spiritual divider. I'm, I'm seeking God. I'm, I'm loving God. I'm praying to God. But lust and anger and, and laziness and selfishness, that's just the human condition. Only my spirit's born again. I still have a carnal mind, and I have a carnal body and And, and, and that's just how it is because I 'm a three part being. That's true, but if you're spiritually dominant, you will command your mind and body to line up with what God says, rather than have an excuse, yes. that's just how I am. I get mad. I'm Italian, you know that's just how I am. You know my dad had had six wives and and, and, I'm, and, and I'm always looking, oh, oh, here's the great one. yeah. I used to touch, but now I look and don't touch. As if that's some spiritual demarcation line that means you're holy now. You know? To be holy is to be distinct, set apart, in a class by oneself. You are holy because God told you to be holy, but you're not holy because Osseus is holy or Victor is holy. You're in a class by yourself. When you stand before God, there's not going to be anybody there cheering you on or accusing you. Yeah, you can't say that, that this person led me astray. This person didn't. No, the, well, you are much more profound than you think you have. And that means you have greater ability to stop sin than you think you do. So we'll stand before God, you know. And the Bible says in that moment, he's a terrible God. Not terrible as an evil but terrifying about just how holy He is and the fact that He put up with us all these years. Now, the primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word, means to cut. Literally, whenever a covenant was established by God, it was called cutting covenant. What that meant, that there had to be the shedding of blood for any covenant to have validity. There had to be a tearing of something. And so literally to be separate is to cut yourself off from yourself. Think about that for a moment. You have to bring the knife. You have to circumcise yourself from your flesh to be holy. You have to do it. Now, good teaching will help you. Good accountability will help you. But being separate is your responsibility to cut yourself from that. An even more accurate word would be to cut Above something. Literally, Dad, have you heard the word that, man, uh, Julian's just a cut above the rest? Think about that term. Saul is a cut above the rest. Now, when you hear that term, you think of somebody that is exemplary and better than everybody else in that particular area. An athlete, he's a cut above his competition. That means he's better than everybody there. Well, that's a negative connotation. God is saying that I want you to be cut in such a way set apart that as people look at you you're a cut above the rest not there's any comparison you to anybody but you can identify somebody that has been sanctified and is holy not because they're condescending not because they wear pharisaical robes and tell everybody else how to live there's just something about how they live that's attractive to a believer I like to be around men that know a whole lot more than I I I don't ever want to find my level and 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 find people that are are that I learn from that are in some ways equal in time. I want to find I want to sit at the feet of generals. I read I, I read a lot of of John G. Lake and 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 great men of God that the the the, the Puritans that how they fought to come over. Some of their writings are so profound. And, and what they were risking to cut from England, knowing certain death ensued. Because back then, the church and the state were married together in England. And if you violated the state, you violated the church. That's a hard thing to be done, is to be kicked out of your own faith. Because you wanted a better faith. You wanted to live a, a more exemplary life. So when we find, and another example is that, it, you know, how many of y'all ever gone suit shopping? Well, did you go to K and G or J- Jacques Pinet or um, Joseph Bank or Paul Frederick? There are different types of suit shops, and it's not because they're just more expensive. You can tell by the way you feel the material. You can. There's something. The suit is a cut above the rest. You know. Sometimes you you look at these. Uh, you know. I, I, I made. I did. I had a really smart thing I did. Probably. Fifteen years ago, I took money out of savings and bought myself five suits that that weren't stylish in the moment, but they were conservative in that they were a style that would always be brought back. So the lapels were sitting now. You know, some lapels go wide, lapels come thin. You know, three-button, two-button, double-breasted, you know, single-breasted, whatever it is. But I invested in these suits. The one problem was the suits did not adjust to my waistline. <laughs> You know, and so it, it became a challenge, you know. But what I did was I bought these and I still wear them today. And because they are of fine crafted material, they're still high quality suits. Now, I tell you that you can tell a low quality. You no, know, don't go home and ask your your wife to look at your butt. But a low quality suit that the pockets on the back, it begins to sag a little bit. Rather than that crisp line that divides from where the insert is. There's certain things that that in the shoulders and that things begin to show wear over time. A good, expensive, crafted suit, you can tell the day you buy it that it's going to look this good, unless you're you know a professional rodeoer. You know that it's going to if you t- treat it right, it's always going to look good. That kind of makes sense to you, yeah. And so God wants us to be that that. That expensive suit. Now I will use the word expensive, and that oh, well, that's the you don't say words like that about church. No, he wants you to be and to have a value, a jewel as a son of God, a joint heir with Jesus. You should have an heir about you that is holy, because you are consistent in your conduct. Amen. You you live, you live an uncommon life. And that's what God wants us to do. So how do we, what is, how do, I didn't even write there. How, so how do be holy like Lord? <laughs> I must have been watching a TV commercial when I printed that one out. Yeah. You read it. What does it say? So how do be holy like the Lord? <laughs> <laughs> do you realize 25 years, that's the first time I didn't have a complete sentence in my notes. All right. There are three critical ways we'll be done. I need to get you guys out of here. How to be holy as the Lord is holy? Number one, be holy as I am holy by trusting Jesus alone. Don't look to man. Don't look to religion. Don't look to government. Don't look to influence. Don't look to finance. Don't look to anything. Don't look to your spouse. Look to Jesus alone. If you put your eyes on you, Je- well, I you know that there's such a limited. Listen, the Bible is unlimited in its depth. If you focus on Jesus, in fact, if you want to, to, to do a study on who Jesus is, go to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there are 27 different names for Jesus. And study what those names mean. You'll know more about Jesus than the Gospels. Because the Gospels refer to his actions. Revelation refers to his presence, who he is. And it's it's stunning to study those type of things i i should bring that back out and teach that again that just trust in jesus if you trust in him you don't have to say you don't have to wear a bracelet say what would jesus do you know you know what jesus would do you know Uh, michael jr who's a uh, just hilarious christian comedian i don't know where the comedian's minds go someplace but, you know, Jesus had a half-brother James, and he had his own book, the book of James. And he was really the first of the, of the disciples to be martyred. Herod threw him off a, off a rampart and killed him. But can you imagine always being the younger brother of Jesus? You know, his mom, why can't you be like Jesus? You know, and, and of course, what would it be like to have a bracelet? What would James do? WWJD, you know. So he goes into this great comedy. Talk about somebody who had a, a psychological problem being the younger brother of God you know, in that moment. So trust in Jesus alone. If we get the first part wrong, we'll get everything wrong. If you don't start off seeking Jesus, most Christians, now listen to me, and I'm not being critical, they're looking for peace, not Jesus. They're looking for health. They're looking for the the, the 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 calming of the of the screaming mind uh, that is broken by life and situations and 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 a, and uh, a young woman whose husband's left or a child that uh, is born deformed or, or they're looking for an answer and and they're not really looking for Jesus they're looking for an attribute of Him see and so it's important that. In our lives, we don't look for what Jesus does. We look for Jesus himself. Right. Jesus will always let you for a time have a, a, what I call a spiritual honeymoon that whatever reason brought you into the kingdom, he's going to let that sit. It, it, he'll, he'll bring that peace, the peace that passes all understanding. He'll keep your hearts and minds in it. But then he begins to coalesce and, and solidify you. Stop looking at my hands for what they get. Start looking for my face jesus alone jesus alone unfortunately some places they offer churches offer all the attributes of jesus and they have jesus as savior but they never make him lord when you get saved you got saved because jesus was savior there had to be a transition at some point in your life he went from savior which is a past tense thing now he's lord commander of the universe wields the, the sharp sword. He sets the law. He determines when the sun, he's the one, you remember that song? He commands the sun to rise and the sun can't rise unless he commands it. Yes. He has total authority over everything. He is the Lord of, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, it, and a lot of people never transition from Savior. So what do they need from Savior? They need to be saved constantly. I'm not talking about saved to get to heaven. That's it. Lord, save me from my landlord. Lord, save me from this bad car. Lord, save me from this this infection I have. Lord, save me from um, uh, these people that don't like me because of my color. They're constantly in need of a Savior. Well, you and I got saved. And if we continue to look at him to be Savior, there will be different reasons he needs to save you, and you never progress. You never, as the Bible says, come up higher, he said to John, that I might show you things. Jeremiah 33 and 3, call unto me and I will show you things you did not know. When, when the Lord tells you to do that, then there's an obedience that comes with that, see? And so if we get the first part wrong, uh, then we don't, we'll get everything else wrong too. We have to graduate from Savior to Lord or everything, the paradigm, the, 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 the prism, the, the eyeglass into the kingdom is always based upon a Savior. Now, there is, there is a good thing churches that want jesus to be savior alone are incredibly evangelistic because they want everybody to know the savior right and that's good that's good but there has to be a point once the people get saved now we have to transition into lord now him alone is the only way i can be holy if if he's, if he's only savior which he got you in the heaven you'll always be aware of where you're not holy you always be aware of him being perfect and you not, because he's the Savior. He saved you from yourself. But when he becomes Lord, and he says, Come up higher, and he says, Be like me, be holy, for I am holy, then the transition begins to take place. First Peter, are we okay tonight? Okay. First Peter 113 says this: set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says that Christ alone and his righteousness, that's what we have to come after. Before Peter commanded us to be holy, he reminds us, set your hope fully on Jesus and his grace. His grace, mercy and grace, mercy and grace, mercy and grace. We always hear: mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy and grace shall follow you all the days of your life. Goodness shall follow you. We want mercy. I don't listen, I've done enough to, to be to to not only be banished from heaven, I've done enough that I shouldn't have got out of my thirties without being in jail. No, I wasn't a thug and I didn't but you know some of my business dealings were probably. You know, oh, what, it was the lawyer's fault. They told me to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I can think of, of a dozen things that, that, according to just even the simplest laws of the land are, are, are a, could be considered a violation, you know. But with my eyes on his holiness, this is the beauty People are afraid to look at Jesus for being holy because they're afraid it will reflect to them all the unholiness of their life. And Jesus says, no, if you look at me and recognize my holy, I will conform you. Do you know what God's perfect goal and purpose is for your life once you get born again? It's boiled down into one sentence. All the Bible, that he might conform you to the image of his son. To conform is to be like To conform is to come into a line, to be like his His whole purpose for you. The moment you get born again, he'll spend the rest of your life conforming you to the image of his son. Image, that word is the same used in Genesis, the earthly likeness of. God wants you to be into the image of Jesus where people see Jesus in you. you. Could there be anything higher, more honorable? Nothing in this life than to someone say, man, I just see Jesus in you. That would be the highest compliment you could ever have on this side of heaven. Not how many verses you meet, not how big your church is, not how, how, how well you do this and that, but for somebody to some say, man, I don't know you, but I just observed you and I see Jesus. Wow. When it comes to being holy, the first and more, most important step is to trust in the righteousness that comes from Him. He said, We are the righteousness of God. That's an imputed statement. What does imputed mean? It is yours because God says it's yours even though you don't qualify for it. We are the righteousness of God, yet the Bible says our righteousness is as a filthy rag. So when he imputes righteousness, he presents us as righteous even though we are not yet at that level. In other words, he gives us the authority and then he fills in the information and the knowledge that will get it. Because one day you and I will be in heaven and we will be absolutely holy and every well, new body new mind new everything we obeyed if you're taking a note write this down we obey God's laws not to be loved but because we love him we obey God's laws the world doesn't love him so they don't obey his laws do you know that Jesus never asked the world to obey him <coughs> All the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the the Judeo-Christian ethic that gives us the laws of our land, that allows us to be a successful uh, republic, are all founded on the laws of the Old Testament, Moses' laws. Supreme Court, Moses is up there. Mm -hmm. All right? The Ten Commandments are up there. They're not taking that off the the Supreme Court. (laughs) But Jesus never asked anybody to do anything. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. There's the caveat. I know my wife loves me. But can I tell you there has to be a consistency in her conduct, in her character, that back up the fact that she loves me. If she says she loves me and does things that don't honor me or dishonor the marriage, she's not. Is she really in love with me? That would be a question. I know that God knows the heart. I'm sure that God says, you know, I don't think anybody could say that you love me by the way your conduct is, even though you come to church and carry a family Bible, because the evidence isn't there. Again, we obey God's laws not uh, to be loved. He loves us irregardless. We obey Him because we love Him. Amen? All right. The more we think upon the holiness of God, and of His many glories, the more beautiful it will appear to us and the more holy we will want to be. The more you know about holiness, the more you want it. Do you know why we don't seek after holiness? It's because we really don't want it because we don't know what it is. We still want to play. We still want to have a little bit of me time. We still want to watch what we want to watch and occasionally if we go out of town drink what we want to drink. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Amen. See, God says, you think on these things, I will, I will make you holy. Mm-hmm. But when you think about revenge, mm-hmm. you think about how you were treated, you think about who owes you something, you become consumed with what wasn't done right to you. Why daddy left? Why mom didn't uh, didn't want you anymore? Whatever it is, when you think about those things, that remove you from holiness. You go into justification. Yeah. Justification says, "I'm owed something." I justify my behavior based upon what you did or did not do for me. But the more we think, our mind can take our mind. Remember this. It's it's old training, but we need to remember. It that my words and my actions are based upon my thought life. Nobody can ever say, I didn't think about what I was doing. I just, it was uncontrollable. I didn't have a chance to think. Yes, you did. Everything you say, everything you do comes from your thought life. Your thought life comes out of your belief system. Your belief system is where you either believe what God said or what the world says. When your belief system is is controlled by the word of God, Then it controls your thoughts, which control your words and control your actions. When you have a worldly system, that controls your thoughts, which control your words and control your actions. The thing about us is we're so complex, we have multiple belief systems operating at the same time. That's why you can be in church on Sunday, being the sweetest cat anybody would ever want to get to know, and cuss somebody out like a sailor on Monday. Because that other belief system took control at that moment. Come on, I don't want to raise your hands, but all of us should be surprised, even within the last month, of some of the things we have thought. Some of the things <laughs> we almost said. Maybe something we did because we didn't think everybody would see us doing it. And we think, wow, I'm working so hard to be a Christian. And it was that easy to stumble. That's because that belief system hasn't been guarded from the things of the world that are constantly trying to feed you through your eye gate and your ear gate, yep. and even through your experience. All right? Number two, remember there's three. So this means we're almost halfway done. Remember that we are children of God. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. We are to be obedient children. Our identity as children should shape us by loving our Father and knowing our Father protects and provides for us. Amen. We are not orphans anymore. By the spirit of adoption, we say, Abba, Father. Abba, in its, in, its, in its Aramaic and also in its Greek, it just means Daddy. God has no problem. The king of the universe is saying, Daddy, God, Papa. I used to use this example, but I don't like who's in the White House now. We go back a couple of times. There, there, the, the president could be seated in his office and have the heads of state waiting outside. But if his son wanted to come in, he managed to get right in the door. He didn't have to have an appointment, didn't have to be a vet, because that was his daddy. Daddy, there's a door for, for sons. Do you ever remember the, 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 the Resolute desk with the picture of John F. Kennedy sitting it, and his son, uh, JFK Jr., was uh, underneath playing with the door, you know, that secret little hatch door. The, the, the cameraman, he's sitting under all kind of little kid, and his dad's running the world, and his son is playing hide-and-seek under his desk. I love that image, you know probably not accurate since it's been so long, but you know what I mean. So we love our father because we love him. We want to obey him. John 14, 15, Jesus said, disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We love God, obey his commandments because we have been adopted as children. Put simply, we love God. He loves us. We obey God and our obedience delights him. Do you know, he's delighted when you do what he tells you to do. He doesn't say, well, it's about time. He doesn't count the nine times you didn't do it. He celebrates the one time. God is not playing whack-a-mole with us. He's not waiting for a reason to bash us. You know, as a father, I love my children. And when they do good, I want to reward them. But there's always a thing in the back of my mind, I'm going to do something for them, and by Tuesday, they're going to mess up. They're going to say something. They're going to do something. So I don't want to give them the full reward because I don't have to take it back from them later. So I know they'll mess up, so I'm not going to give them anything. And they act up because they didn't get anything. All right. We're the neighbor's children. All right, third one, last one. Be holy as I am holy simply means putting sin to death. You and I battle sin every day. We shouldn't have to. If, if God is, and as God says, if we live a life that's full of, then the battle should have been won. But our carnal nature wants to refight, wants to revisit. It's every day we have to approach the throne of grace to obtain all the mercy and grace therein because God knows that our faith for yesterday is of no value to us today. None whatsoever. So there's a point in the pursuit of holiness that we simply must die to sin. You cannot entertain holiness and sin and yet there is a greasy gospel that's promoted that, well, that's just who you are. I had a preacher tell me this one time. Years ago, if you're gonna sin, just go do it, get it over with, and ask God to forgive you. A preacher. Don't listen. You're you're wearing yourself out battling. Sin, just go do it, get it over with, and then that proper remorse come and ask God to forgive. And you know when you're a young, impressionable, uh, 22, 23 year old with your hormones, right? That sounds like good preaching. That sounds. Man, I like this kind of gospel. But the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And what I didn't understand is I can sin and be forgiven, but God never takes the consequence away from my sin. He'll forgive me of it, so there's no record of it in heaven, but I may carry a disease because of one night. We've got to embrace the righteousness of Christ, meditate upon His holiness, And remember that we are children of God. When we do those three things, embrace His righteousness, meditate on His holiness, and remember. Do you know what meditation, that's another biblical word that's been stolen. Eastern mysticism, um, they make it sound bad. Meditating, simply, you know what, the word meditating is to speak under your breath the things of God, to meditate on it. But it actually comes from a Hebrew word, as a cow, choose the cud. It gets that cud and chews it. See, when a cow eats, every there's two stomachs. It all go, the eating goes into one stomach. Now, this is, this is why we don't do this before dinner. Then it comes back up in its mouth so it can chew on it and then put it into the stomach that prodides, produces health for it. It chews on its vomit, basically. All right? But chewing the cud is, and cud, the, cow, the cows do not have teeth the way we think of teeth they're not carnivores so it takes them a long time to even take uh, vegetables and wheat and grass to turn it into energy and sometimes they all night long yeah. and that's what david was trying to say you got to think about this stuff all night long mm-hmm. you got to meditate on the word of god you have to think about these things so those are the steps in addition to that we have to really seek to kill sin We need to be merciless when it comes to our life. Peter put it bluntly and he said, you also be holy in all of your conduct. God wants us to be holy. Uncommon conduct requires men to be holy. Holy means that if you, what did Job say? He said, Lord, guard my eyes that I don't even look upon the virgin." Well, see, Job didn't understand that with proper holiness, his eyes can see and not sin. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to be able to not see. But when you're in sin, the devil uses what you see to pull you away from God. Mm. Cody's uh, Cody's heard this story, and I've told it, and this will be kind of what we'll wrap up with. One time I was at the gym years and years ago, and I was really focused on the exercise doing in order... You know, the, the, when, you, when you exercise and you isolate, our tendency, the human body, is to cheat. Here's an example. There's a, a curl that will isolate the bicep and build it. But there's a cheat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more you're fatigued, the more you will use the body to cheat. And so a disciplined workout requires to focus so that you don't cheat with anything else. Like uh, you all have seen a shrug where you, where you pick up to strengthen the shoulders, barbells like this. Somebody who cheats does this. They bend the elbows, which takes all of the stress and isolation off of the, uh, the neck muscles, and they don't build because you're cheating. So I'm telling you this because I was doing an exercise... And I, for me, when I exercise, I try to get a focal point where I'm not looking, but my eyes are there, which keeps me calm when I would lift. I'm at the gym, and I'm not looking, but the focal point was the butt of a girl facing the other direction doing her exercise. And all of a sudden, this head pops down in my and says, why are you looking at my wife's? Now, how am I supposed to tell him I wasn't looking? I know I wasn't looking, but that was the focal point in front of me. But because of the way the world looks, this guy sees me fixated on her rear end. Okay? So what did I do? Please forgive me. I apologize. You didn't like it. I was wrong. Now, I knew what I was, but then God says, well, next time we focus, you have to elevate your focal point. (laughs) But the point was that there was a time in my life, a girl sitting like that would capture my attention. Now I know you guys are far longer than, longer than I was when I was young, but I would, I would see and I would look and it would capture my attention. In that particular case, it didn't because I was focused on something else, but I, my eye was making contact, but it was not registering what I was looking at. It was simply a focal point in front of me. So, the whole point of that exercise, I was technically okay with God, but I had to make peace with my fellow man. But I'd gotten to a point where I thought about it later. I thank God that I could see something and not have it register and bring me out of where the presence of God was. Even though that would be something in a younger time in my life, if I saw that, I would have thoughts about that. Does that make sense So part of the, the holiness is being able to see and not be moved by it. Hmm. To hear and not be uh, accosted by it. That we can be holy and still see the things of this world. Because if we can't see this world, we can't see the distress for somebody. Right. That's right. God doesn't want us in ivory towers. He doesn't want us in monasteries. and, right. and, and, and that, That's how they used to combat. In order to be pure, you had to be removed from society where you would not be influenced by anything. But see, the human nature is you remove me from society to keep me from being influenced by this. I'm going to find something to be influenced by. That's why monks did really good wrote Bibles and made good wine. The best wineries were in monasteries. I don't know if there was a correlation there. But, but hey, I was holy today. <laughs> no, we have to be able to see the world, but not be influenced by the world. That's what holiness is. I see my brother in need. I see my sister in a a difficulty, but I'm not registering them in the carnality of the world. I'm seeing them through the Spirit because I am holy, because I'm set apart. If I tell you right now I'm holy, then I have disparaged God because there's none of us holy. No, not one. So why would God say be holy? Because I am holy, knowing that we're incapable of holiness. He says you can But there's things that you have to do. You have to be able to recognize and set yourself apart. You have to commission yourself to understand his lordship over your life. You have to put yourself in a place where you meditate on his word and on him. Meditation is not only the word. you got to meditate on his attributes, on on who he is. I like to think about God. I really do. I like to think about uh, just who he is. I like to imagine what heaven's like. I, I I want I, I, I sure hope we can go back and see the Red Sea once we get to heaven. I want to see the miracles of the Bible. Something tells me I'll see God on his throne and nothing he can show me would compare to that. So I'll probably be okay <laughs> with that. My last scripture, we're done. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account these of these things the wrath of god is coming he tells you right there you want to be holy put these things away he would never ask you guys to do something you cannot do our god does not set you up to fail he does not put you in a circumstance where that failure is going to be imminent just so we can show you that he's God and you're not. He doesn't rub your nose in anything. His cry to us, brothers come up higher and see things. I want you to live a life that brings me glory. And the life that brings me glory is not going to leave you with a life that's unsatisfied. God says, I'll satisfy you. And can I tell you the satisfaction of God doesn't leave a hangover, doesn't leave remorse or guilt doesn't leave you with, a, with contradictions in your life, hypocritical in your own eyesight. All of us have that. When God satisfies, He satisfies completely. But He also recognizes that our time on this earth is like burnt gra- uh, green grass one day, burnt grass the next, like a match, like the fireworks. Mm-hmm. Every one of those fireworks had a lifespan. From the moment it came alive to the moment it was dead. Within seconds, everything in life has an alpha, a beginning, and an omega, an ending. And we will be with him forever. And because we will not have to worry about our salvation, he says to us, he said, why won't you let me have you that my will would be accomplished on this planet? You're set for heaven. Let me have your hands. Let me have your, let me call you holy. Let me release holy speech. And let me so possess you, again, a word the enemy stolen, possess you by the Holy Spirit, that your first thought is a God thought in every single circumstance. And if that becomes your lifestyle, God will say, He is holy because I am holy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did we learn some things tonight? Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I did have one more page. I forgot, but that's all right. That was a good ending. That was was a good ending. So, Father, we come to you right now. We thank you. Again, Lord, you're looking for uncommon conduct. You're looking for us to live a life that is set apart, that is a cut from above that takes us to a higher place. Every one of us. There's no one in this room, no one listening to my voice right now that is exempted from an uncommon life, a life of holiness, a life of of conduct worthy of the king. All it requires from us is is a, a decision. Yes, Lord, I want that life. I'll live that life. Yes, the enemy rages, said, well, you've tried that so many times. How many times have you, have you started off the week good and been in the gutter by Thursday? How many times did, did you hear a word that motivated you could fly as wings with eagles, only to find yourself scurrying with rats? Those are lies. Those lies only have power because you agree with it. Yep, I'm going to fall. Yep, I'm going to fail. Yep, I can only maintain this altitude so long. And God says, you can't maintain anything. If you give me right, I will elevate you. I'll keep you in the the higher streams of heaven, of of this earth, the the stratosphere, the fast-moving winds. So, Father, we surrender to you right now. Maybe this is the 10,000th time we said it, but our way still doesn't work. And what we really want is the God kind of life, the abundant life, the well-lived life, the rich life, the, the significant life, the life of purpose and destiny. And you're laying it out before us, Lord, and you're not asking us to do something only priests and prophets can do. It's for everyone. He said, be holy. Be set apart. Give yourself to me. Give me control. Let me take the wheel. And in exchange, I'll give you a life you could not possibly have imagined. A life of significance, of glory. Not of yours, but of mine. And I'll give you an ending. And he lived happily ever after. We thank you, Lord, that you know best. Take control. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap tonight? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah.